Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 611 for the 23rd of September, 2018. This week, let's take a look at Smart Photo Editor Studio from Anthropics. It's an application that features an unusual interface and thousands of presets that can be used to turn everyday images into something special. In short circuits, Apple introduced iOS version 12 for its mobile devices this week. Besides fixing some of the worst bugs in iOS 11, it adds some useful functions. Although I don't often use Microsoft's cloud-based OneDrive, I was surprised to discover it was missing. Apparently, this is a relatively common problem with an easy fix that I'll share. Research confirms that all of the nation's top 45 airports can be hazardous to your data and that many have unacceptable risks. In spare parts, only on the website, Two-factor authentication is more secure than just a username and password, but the weak link is still the human. And if you're going to spend $1,000 or more on a new iPhone, there are ways to save money, and WalletHub has the details. Users of Smart Photo Editor Studio from Anthropics could be forgiven for staring at the screen and wondering how to use the program because the interface is unlike any other photo editing application. The current version of the British software publisher's photo editor is one of several applications that use the same underlying engine. Smart Photo Editor Studio is the most general of the applications. Landscape Pro is intended for use with outdoor images. Portrait Pro deals mainly with facial features. And Portrait Pro Body can be used to reshape a subject's body. Some people are vehemently opposed to modifying a subject's body with a photo editing tool. But Portrait Pro Body can be used to make subtle changes that are still honest and true to the subject. That's a topic for another day, though. One of the most unusual aspects of Smart Photo Editor is the ability to use treatments that have been created by other users. In fact, whenever you close the application, it'll take a few moments to check in with the Anthropic site and download new effects that have been contributed by the community. Check out the images on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, www.techbiter.com, We'll take a look at a couple of images to see how they can be modified by Smart Photo Editor. Whether you consider the modifications to be improvements or not is up to you, but I was able to achieve the effects that I wanted with each of the images, so that makes them improvements for me. I started with a photograph of a flower from Inniswood Metro Gardens. After opening an image, you'll see a very busy screen, and you'll want to look over on the left side of the screen. Up at the top, you can choose a general category for the treatment. Dramatic, artistic, or realistic. For the image of the flower, I selected artistic. Next, you'll determine whether you want to see all of the effects or limit the selection to light, or color, or detail, or artistic, style effects, borders, mood, 
or trending effects. I chose to look at all effects. That's a lot of them. Smart Photo Editor then examines the image and makes some recommendations. Or you can switch to specific recommendations for portraits, landscapes, seascapes, flash images, or abstract images. There's also an option for nighttime photography and close-up or macro images. After you've made those selections, you'll be able to scroll through several pages of effects. In my case, there were 629 pages, each with 12 effects for a total of more than 7,500 possible effects. That is simply overwhelming. Once you select one of those, on the right side of the screen, you'll find other options that can be used with the image, such as treatments that apply only to a specific area of the image, red eye removal, adding text, cropping and straightening the image, and several more. I selected a starburst effect to apply to the image and realized immediately that I'd need to reposition the starburst. It appeared over on the right side of the image in the middle of a dark area. It had nothing to do with the flower. It looked kind of silly over there, but that's okay. It's an easy process. Just click the starburst with the mouse and drag it to where you want it to be. Placing the starburst at the center of the flower seemed to suggest that a drop of water in the flower was catching some direct sunlight. The next step involves modifying the effect with controls in the upper left corner of the screen. Before working with the controls, I used the mouse to slightly rotate the starburst effect. Then, to get the look I wanted, I increased the master control slightly, left the fill light alone, reduced the lights control, left the vibrance control alone, and then changed both the hue and saturation to shift the color of the starburst into the purple range and to make the color more pronounced. To ensure that the original image isn't modified, Smart Photo Editor will save the modification as a JPEG, TIFF, or PNG image. If you've finished with the image and you have no plans to edit it in any other application, JPEG is an acceptable choice. If you do plan to open the image in Lightroom or Photoshop, On One, Exposure, or any other editor, then TIFF is a better choice. And for images designed for the web, PING is a good option. So that's it for my first image. The second image I wanted to consider has several specific problems that I knew I wanted to address. The image shows Elizabeth a little more than a year after her emergency liver transplant. I had gone along on a follow-up visit to her surgeon and dropped her off at home. The picture was taken with a smartphone. The most serious shortcoming of the image is one that I actually should have corrected by having her move. It's the dark shadow on her face. Even if the original image had been a raw image, it's not something that can be corrected completely. Also, some white siding on the house in the background is in full sunlight. It's white, the sun is directly on it, so it's too bright. And there's some distortion that makes vertical lines in the house lean a bit. There's also too much extraneous information on the right-hand side, up at the top and down at the bottom of the image. So it's an image with a lot of problems. I started with a high dynamic range effect. That helped with the shadowed areas. Then I worked through some other processes to straighten and crop the image. The final step involved brushing on a mask that I could use to adjust the exposure and brightness in the areas that were too bright. Additionally, I changed the hue just a bit. The final result, while being far from a perfect image, is a substantial improvement from the picture that came out of the phone. 
There's a lot to learn if you want to use this application effectively, and this is made somewhat more difficult by the unusual interface and the huge number of effects that are built in or available from the community. Fortunately, the program contains direct links to a forum area on the Smart Photo Editor website and to tutorials that are built in and some that are available on the website. There's also a gallery and basic instructions for most of the tools. The Effects Editor is what allows users to create their own effects from scratch by combining various other effects. Using this feature does require quite a bit of testing and experimentation, and the community forum is helpful there. If you create an effect that you like, you can share it with others by clicking the Publish button. Any effect that any user submits to the community will be accepted. This might not always be good because it creates a large number of potential effects, some of which aren't exactly the best quality. Fortunately, you can save several effects that you're considering to a short list. Unfortunately, though, that short list is effective only for one image. Being able to create a list of favorites would be helpful. It is a challenge to keep up with all of the raw image formats that camera manufacturers create. The manufacturers usually retain the same extensions for their various raw files, but the format can change enough from one version of a camera to another that an application can't open the files. Smart Photo Editor supports a lot of raw formats, but there is no list of currently supported formats. The only way to find out for sure is to download the free trial version and then try to open a raw file from your camera. That's not a problem, though. If your camera's RAW format isn't supported, other options include converting the file from RAW to TIFF using the software that came with the camera. Every camera comes with some software applications. Or you can use Adobe Camera RAW, which is free to convert the files to DNG, digital negatives. Both DNGs and TIFFs retain all of the information from the RAW file. JPEG files do not. Adobe Camera Raw is available for both Windows and the Mac OS. You'll find links on the TechBiter Worldwide website where you can download Adobe Camera Raw. Anthropics sells a bundle that includes Portrait Studio Max, Portrait Pro Body Studio, Landscape Pro Studio Max, and Smart Photo Editor Studio for $240. The Smart Photo Editor is available separately in two versions, Standard for $30, and Studio for $50. The list prices are actually $60 and $100, but the list prices seem never to be in effect. The primary difference between Standard and Studio is that Studio will operate as a plug-in in Photoshop and Photoshop Elements. So the bottom line here for Smart Photo Editor is five cats. It's unusual, and it's worth looking at. Don't be put off by the unusual interface. Once you understand the basics of how the program works, you'll enjoy the capabilities of this surprisingly low-cost application. You'll find additional details on the Anthropics website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, updates to Apple's mobile operating system, iOS, are often yawn-inducing, so I was pleasantly surprised by the update to iOS 12. Several useful features are included in the latest version. 
The download, preparation, and update consumed less than half an hour on the iPad that I updated. Following the update, there was a message telling me that some virtual private network settings needed to be changed. The message didn't explain how I might obtain the information about the settings that would need to be changed, though. Well, because I use the tablet at home most of the time, I just skipped the VPN settings for the time being, figured that was probably safe. And then following the operating system update, 17 applications said they needed to be updated. So that required another 10 minutes or so. My VPN application was included in that update list, and when I ran it following the update, it took care of modifying all the settings that needed to be changed. Problem solved. And finally, LastPass is able to fill in usernames and passwords on an iOS device. Until iOS 12, trying to use LastPass on an iOS device was mainly an exercise in frustration. Also, most of the worst bugs introduced by a badly flawed iOS 11 have been resolved. But what's really new here? Screen time is part utility and part big brother. The utility part will show you how much time you spend with various applications that are on the device. Once you've done that, you can add some configuration options to block certain applications during specific periods. This is helpful both for regulating your own use of the device and for limiting how much your children can use their phones or tablets in various applications and at various times. The Voice Memo app has been updated and now has limited editing capabilities. Users can also open Voice Memo files in GarageBand and if you haven't bought in 100% to the Apple ecosystem and still use Android and Windows devices, forwarding voice memos is now really easy. Possibly the most remarkable new app is called Measure. You probably don't have a tape measure in your pocket, and you may end up eyeballing measurements when you need a measurement. If you need something more accurate than your eyeball estimation, open Measure, set a start point, set an end point, and read the distance. Now, it's not as accurate as a tape measure would be, and you do need to be sure that you're squared up to what you're measuring, but it's a lot better than eyeballing the measurement. And the ability to group announcements reduces clutter on the notifications screen. Users can also turn off notifications entirely with bedtime mode. And there's a new built-in thesaurus, and the ability to use custom-made emojis in memos. Yeah, Apple calls these memojis. Clever. So whether you want to try some of the new apps or just get rid of the iOS 11 bugs, the iOS 12 update will probably be a welcome addition to your phone or tablet. Windows users have OneDrive accounts with 5 gigabytes of storage. If you have an Office 365 account, that increases to 1 terabyte or up to 5 terabytes for Office 365 home accounts with 5 users. Access is always present in the Windows File Explorer and in the notification area, except when it isn't. I don't use OneDrive a lot but it is a handy place to store files you want to access from multiple Windows devices. So I was surprised this week when I tried to save a file to OneDrive and couldn't find it. As it turns out, the fix is really easy. 
just open the Windows File Explorer and type some text that you'll find on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's easier just to go there, copy it, and then paste it into the File Explorer. Once you do that, you should find two files in the location, OneDrive Setup.exe and Update.xml. Double-click the OneDrive Setup.exe file. A setup window will open and the dialog will display Preparing OneDrive for First Use. That message is incorrect unless you're really setting up OneDrive for the very first time, but it doesn't make any difference. Just ignore it. Eventually, you'll see a login screen that requires the username and password for your Windows account. If you use a Microsoft Outlook account, which does make Windows 10 a lot easier to use, then enter those credentials and click Sign In. Otherwise, enter whatever it is that you've set up for your local Microsoft Windows account. Once you've done that, making sure that you have signed into the Windows account, click the OneDrive icon in the notification area. We used to call that the tray. Click the ellipsis dots in the lower right corner. There's also a word there that says More. Select Settings from the menu. Click the Settings tab. And if Start OneDrive automatically when I sign into Windows isn't selected, check it so that OneDrive will launch when you reboot the computer. Click OK. That's all. OneDrive will now work exactly as you expect it to until the next time that it doesn't, but then you'll know how to fix it. Those who travel a lot might wonder which airports are the most hazardous places for Wi-Fi users. The simple, easy answer is all of them, but maybe you'd like a bit more nuanced approach. The prudent traveler, regardless of the airport in question, will stay away from public USB charging stations, always use a virtual private network application to encrypt connections, and avoid downloading sensitive information to the computer, phone, or tablet. But I did promise a little more nuanced approach. And fortunately, Coronet, a company that provides a free protective application for personal devices and paid services for organizations, collects threat data as part of the service and has published a report. The report lists threat statuses from 10, the worst possible case, to zero, the best. And Coronet says that any score above 6.5 poses an unacceptable risk. So the five worst airports are San Diego International, Orange County's John Wayne Airport in California, Houston's Hobby Airport, Newark Liberty, and Love Field in Dallas. The five best airports, Chicago Midway, Raleigh-Durham International, Nashville International, Washington Dulles International, and San Antonio International. The scores ranged from 4.5 at Chicago Midway to 10 at San Diego. And note, none of the airports listed in the report approached a zero threat level. So it's clear that data safety is a concern at every airport. The research omits Port Columbus International, Cincinnati Northern Kentucky, Pittsburgh International, Minneapolis St. Paul International, Albuquerque International, and several other airports that I would consider to be significant. If you'd like to download the full report that lists all 45 airports, and includes some additional safety information, check the Coronet website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website.
And while you're at the TechBiter Worldwide website, perhaps before you go off to see the Cornet website, check out Spare Parts. That's the only place you'll find it. And this week we have two-factor authentication, more secure than just a username and password, but there's still a weak link, and that weak link is the human. And if you're going to spend $1,000 or more on a new iPhone, there are some ways to save. WalletHub has the details. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.